Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. As much as I hate to do it, I need to meet, make a few announcements, and if I make them, they're very, very important. Tomorrow night, trunk and treat, rain or shine. If it rains, we'll be in the gym. Typically, we have between 1,000 and 2,000 people that come through. So uh, if you have signed up to do a trunk, even if it rains, please come. Uh, we'll have it in the gym. We've done that several times. Ne uh, November 13th, we'll have a benefit barbecue for Sandra and Michael Arms family. Appreciate them so much, so we encourage you to be here for that. November the 20th will be in the sanctuary, and the AM service will have a baptismal service. So if you're a candidate for baptism, if you went through Class 101, which we just recently had, and you need to be baptized, please contact the church office, and we'll uh, schedule your baptism. Also that night, which is November 20th, we'll have uh, our shoebox party. We do a 1,000 shoeboxes here. want to thank the Davises for their leadership in that. Uh, so that'll be uh, that Sunday night. And then on November 27th, we'll have the Lord's Supper. And we're going to thank God. That morning is going to be a Thanksgiving service, okay? And we're going to thank God for paying this building off. And let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. What a blessing. You know, I was, I was thinking just about the building. When we did the Time to Build fund drive, that was in 2008, 2009. We had an economic, not a recession, but it was bad, right? And then during the building payment, we've had COVID and different things like that. But God has blessed us so much. And thank you so much for giving and trusting uh, your tithes and offerings to do the Lord's work. and uh, But just want to thank you so much for that. Psalm 149 says this, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Let them praise His name with the dance. Let them sing praises to Him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. Isn't that a blessing? God takes pleasure in you and God inhabits the praises of of his people. So with a smile on your face, look to your neighbor and welcome to the house of the Lord this morning.
praise the Lord. Amen. We're so thankful that we, uh, I'm so thankful that we have a time in our service that we set aside for you to come as an individual. You can come with a friend or you can come with your family and pray. We looked at this verse just a little bit Wednesday night where John says this. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? Moses told the children of Israel, what nation has a God like ours that hears us when we pray? What a privilege it is to pray. And I would encourage you, if you want to pray to God about anything according to his will, then I'm going to ask you to come as our praise team and our choir leads us in the song and meet me here at this altar this morning. Father, your grace is so amazing. Lord, your mercies are new every morning. And Father, I pray that we'd never take those things for granted. So Father, we thank you first and foremost for the things that you do in us that we can't do for ourselves. Father, I pray for members of our congregation that need your touch physically. Father, you are the great physician. Father, we have church members in the hospital right now as we're praying. And Lord, we lift them up to you. Father, we pray for their family members that are there with them. Lord, you, you be their refuge and strength. Father, we pray for, Lord, as we've been preaching on the last several weeks about people who are lost, Lord, we pray that you'd save them. Father, if there's anyone in this service today that has never placed their faith and trust in you, Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what a preacher can't do or a choir can't do. Father, give sight to the blind and raise the spiritually dead and be honored and glorified because of their salvation. And Father, we pray for this service today. Lord, I pray that you continue to bless in the singing, Lord, the preaching. Father, the offering, Lord, is all worship to you. And Father, we're so thankful that we can do those things. And Father, we want to tell you that we love you today, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said together, amen.
Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 5. This week we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be talking about the, this thought, are, are demons real? And last week we looked at uh, God healing the uh, demoniac who was in the area of the Gadarenes and the tombs. And this morning we're going to look at Jesus healing a man 
uh, of a demon who went to church. So if you will, stand with me. We're going to look at verses, verses 21 through 28. And I believe this miracle is the first one that Mark mentions and also Luke in his Gospels. And we'll look at this together. Then they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, at this church, we stand under your word, not over it. And Father, we're, we're reminded that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, just as you pierce the heart of this demon-possessed man, I pray that you'd pierce the heart of anyone lost here today and pierce the heart of your church. Lord, the only way to win in spiritual warfare is to be strong. And Father, make us strong men and women. Lord, it's so easy to come to church and take notes and go home and never apply it to our lives. I pray that we would be more than note takers at East Hillsville Baptist Church. Father, help us to be victorious in what you've called us to do. And Father, when your Holy Spirit moves in our lives, I pray that we would say yes. Lord, that's victory in spiritual warfare. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you alone can do. And we love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The first thing I want to mention without an introduction is this. Number one, church is important. Notice what verse 21 says. Then they went into Capernaum. Now notice this, uh, notice this map up here, Michael, if you'll show it. To show you where Capernaum is, it's at the top, the, the northern part of uh, Galilee, right above the Galilean, uh, Galilean, the Sea of Galilee. And Adrian Rogers made this statement. He said that this is the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful places on earth. He's been there. He said it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. And as you know, Capernaum, the town of Jesus, no other city or town on earth was ever called the town of Jesus. No other spot on earth was graced with more sermons, more signs, or more miracles than the town of Jesus. Matthew says this, So Jesus got out of the boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Jesus claimed this part of Israel. Why did Jesus pick the small town of Galilee as his home base? One scholar put it this way, Galilee was one of the great road centers of the ancient world. It has been said Judea is on the way to nowhere. Galilee, Galilee is on the way to everywhere. Palestine was a land bridge between Europe and Africa. All land traffic had to go through her. Capernaum was also witness to more of Christ's miracles than any other spot on earth. This is where he made his headquarters. This is where he raised Jairus' daughter. This is where he healed this demoniac. Peter's mother-in-law, he healed two blind men. The centurion's servant was here. He healed uh, the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. The paralytic who was lowered down through the roof was healed here. He chooses Peter, Andrew, James, John as disciples here. And it's also here where in John 6, 6, 6, his disciples, many of his disciples forsook him. 
Jesus said this about this place because so much was done there and so many sermons were preached there and God's Holy Spirit moved there so much. Jesus said this about Capernaum. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. He said, you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? And there's a question mark. No, you will go down to the place of the dead for if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom would be better off on judgment, on judgment day than you. See, it's a very dangerous place to come to church sometimes. If the Holy Spirit of God is moving on your heart to repent for salvation or for some other reason, you're responsible for that. Jeff just saying, I choose to believe. You're going to make choices at this invitation today that could be life-changing for you, or you're not going to. It's just going to be another Sunday for you, and you'll sit here, and you'll hear a sermon, you'll raise your hands when we sing, and then when you leave this church, nothing will be done. That choice is yours. Capernaum did nothing, absolutely nothing with all that they had. Jesus made his headquarters here. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle, heard better preaching than you're getting this morning, and did nothing. Jesus said, you did not repent. Michael, if you'll go back to the verse before, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. Notice that, it's so important. Jesus went to church. That word synagogue means to congregate together. God understood that if uh, his people were going to grow, they had to congregate together. Different people from different backgrounds, different parts of town there. All right? And today, different ethnicities, different paths, and we all congregate together. The word synagogue gives the idea of a building. Buildings are important. God, is, God blesses buildings if they're used for his honor and for his glory. A synagogue. One scholar put the synagogue was a center of religious life for the Jewish people. He said, you might visit the temple in Jerusalem once a year, but the local synagogue is where you gathered weekly on the Sabbath for worship. Worship included, if you'll notice this on that uh, third slide there, Michael. Notice, you had singing. Typically, they would sing uh, Psalm 145 through one, Psalm 150, and we read a little bit out of Psalm 149 this morning. They quoted the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. They had prayer, just like we did. They read Scripture out of the Torah, and a visitor typically, you could do this in their context, you can't do it here, all right, would read from the prophet and teach, and then they would read or pray Numbers 24 and 26. Notice this picture on the screen. This is kind of how they sat for the most part. Typically, you would sit. A lot of guys would sit by their occupation. Of course, they put the women in the back. Don't know why they did that, but they did. Kids had their certain place, okay? But it was a synagogue. God, God, God had it planned that you have buildings and people come and congregate on the Sabbath to hear, to sing, to pray, to hear somebody preach. Isn't that amazing? And, and probably, I heard, I heard Adrian Rogers say this. He said, probably this old demon-possessed man had been going every Sunday. And that's like, look around you. Are any of y'all demon-possessed? Some of you look at, like, no, I'm just kidding. Think about that. He could go every Sunday to church. The Bible says this, Jesus' custom was to go to the Jewish synagogue. Luke said this, and he came to Nazareth. When he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, as was his custom, and I'll paraphrase this, he went to church. Is that your custom? Is that your custom? I got saved on October 30th, 1990. I was 20 years old. Church was not part of my life. From that Tuesday on, okay, that next Sunday, I've been in church. I, 
pretty much every Sunday, it's changed my life. When it's working right, there's nothing on the planet that can compare nothing to the local church. Nothing. Your work can't, your school can't, your hobbies can't, nothing can. Okay? Church should be a vital, important part of your life. Think about this, and I say this often. If you come on Sunday mornings and you come, just come to church, one hour of your week is spent in church. One hour. And God, and God tells us to be good stewards of our time. One hour. And that one hour can be such a life-changing thing for you and for somebody else. When you use your talents and your gifts in this church, God is glorified, Jesus' name is exalted, oftentimes his kingdom is expanded, and you help people. That's what Peter told us. He said, do not keep those gifts to yourself. You're ministering to the church. The church is so important. Jesus went to church, and then notice what else he did. He taught. Show this next picture. This is kind of how it was in the synagogue. Okay, You had a pulpit. You had scrolls, and it opened up the scroll. And when Jesus was in Luke's gospel, he opened up the scroll to Isaiah 61. And then what did he do? The Bible says that he taught. He taught. He took that scroll. He read, he read the verse. Jesus was an expositor. He reads the verse, and he talks about those verses. Isn't that amazing? And they would sit there and listen. Jesus taught. And the Bible says they were amazed at his authority, or they were amazed at his teaching. That word amazed is a term used with the miraculous. In order to be a teacher, you'd align yourself, in Jesus' day, in order to be a teacher, you'd align yourself with some rabbinical school or some rabbi. And when you taught, like say you'd take Isaiah 61, the average person would take it, he would read it, and he'd say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Rabbi so-and-so says that. When Jesus taught, he says, verily, verily, I say to you. And they say, wait a minute, he's not quoting a rabbi, he's talking about himself. When Jesus preached Isaiah 61, he said, this scripture is being fulfilled in your presence today. When Jesus preached about the Messiah in the synagogue, he talked about himself. When he talked about heaven, when Jesus talked about heaven, he talked about he had just not only had been there, but came from there. And they're amazed. That word amazed is used. Listen to how that word amazed is used. If you'll notice back in, in verse 21, it says, Then immediately went into Capernaum, and immediately into the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished or amazed at his teaching. That same word is used Later on, when it says, Then they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Imagine a deaf, mute person being here, and we gathered them around here at the altar, and we prayed on them, and they started speaking in here. Would you not be astonished? I would. I've told you this before. I've, I've been in places where I prayed for people, and I'm not, I just prayed for them, probably even lacked faith, and those people would kind of rouse up. All right, I've told you a story about my English teacher, and I, and I, you know, I about passed out when he woke up. He said, "Well, Jamie Steele, what you doing here? You know, been been asleep for three days. Okay, amazed by it. Now imagine healing somebody that was had had a severe handicap, and God just healed them during the church. Would you not be amazed? That's how they were when Jesus taught. Think about that. When he when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, and all the people were listening, the Bible says when they when he was done, they were amazed, just like somebody been healed. That's, a, that's a, what a great speaker Jesus is. What a tremendous speaker he is. That's why the word of God is so important to speak. Amazement. Because, not only that, but he spoke with authority. Spurgeon put it this way. He did not do as the scribes did. 
who made a great parade of learning by quoting this rabbi and the other. But Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he spoke as one who felt that he had authority to speak in his own name. And in the name of God the Father, this method of teaching quite astonished the Jews. That word authority that's used here in this verse. Jesus said in Mark 3.15, I have authority to cast out demons. That means I have the legal right. And when Jesus would teach, it's like he's saying, I have the legal right to speak for God. In Luke 5, the Bible says this, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The same word. So when Jesus was preaching and talking, they said that he was amazed at his teaching because he spoke as one who had authority. It's almost as if they said there's something different about this person. So church is very, very important. The second thing is this, demons are real. John MacArthur said, whether we realize it or not, there's a demonic world we cannot avoid. It is real and we cannot we cannot be uninformed or uninterested. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness. We must be aware that warfare, in order to win the battle, we must be aware of that warfare in order to win the battle. And then he goes on to say this, you will deal with demons, and probably already have. Walk in the light of Christ. You remember when you were younger, and you would go out into the woods, and you'd see a rock, and you'd turn that rock over? What would be under it? All sorts of things, wouldn't it? And then they would take off running. You know why? Or not running, but crawling. Because they saw the light. That's what happens in this passage. That's what happens in this passage. Jesus said this, or John says this in John 3, 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. It will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This is what happens in this story. Demons hate the light. They hate Jesus, they hate you, they hate his church, and the light exposed their darkness. The word occult, the word occult means hidden. It means it's a hidden, dark, shadowy, depraved, evil, impure, immoral, lost, and damned world of darkness. And Jesus exposes it every time he comes into contact with it. Jesus throws the light of God's word on that dark kingdom. There is no way possible to take this book as it is written seriously and deny the reality of the demonic world. David Guzik said this, he makes an interesting point in describing the man who was demon-possessed. And if you'll notice here in verses 23 and 24, notice what the Bible says. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Notice that, with an unclean spirit. And David Guzik said this, he said, he said, In describing the man who was demon-possessed, Mark uses the same grammar Paul used to describe the Christian being in Christ. This unclean spirit was the evil lord of this poor man's life. The similarity in the wording between Christians having Jesus and this man having a demon demonstrates that he's in us. We are in him. We are Jesus-possessed in the right sense because his filling and influence is only for our good. It's almost like when you get saved, you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, correct? When this man's demon-possessed, he's filled with Satan. It speaks that way of Judas. In Luke 22, 3, it says, Then Satan entered Judas. Think about that. Then Satan entered Judas and possessed him. And when Jesus is teaching, notice what the Bible says, and he cried out. He cried, he screamed, and uh, it's like almost like a voice of terror. Okay? So when Jesus is preaching, this man cries out. This is what we call old-fashioned conviction. Have you ever been under conviction? You know, that word just means the cause to see. 
When Stephen spoke before Jewish leaders, the Bible says they were cut to the heart and they gnashed their teeth at him. They were convicted, right? One of the famous actors in Lord of the Rings who has a, a sexual immorality problem, he says every time he goes to a hotel, he'll take out those Gideon Bibles and all the verses about homosexuality, he tears them out. You know why? Conviction. Conviction. When this, when this Jewish man who's filled with this demon sits in that church service that day and Jesus starts preaching, he gets under conviction. The power of God's word is you just can't compare it to anything else. The power of God's word. Mac Brunson said this, the hearing and preaching of one sermon has the power to change your life for eternity. Think about that. If that's true, and I had a lost friend, loved one, neighbor, I would try to get them to church that preached the Bible, wouldn't you? I would do everything in my power. I'd buy them lunch afterward. I'd go pick them up. I would do all those things if I really, truly believed that. If the church I belonged to, they had a pastor who took the Bible, read it, and then preached it in context, expositive scripture, I would bring them because over time, studies will show that they'll become born again. That's why Sunday school is so important. You take a lost person and get them in a Sunday school class. Now listen to me. You get them in a Sunday school class, typically within six months, that person's born again. Why? Because they hear the word of God over and over and over again. The problem is, is that the churches in Alexander County, and I can't speak for them, were so apathetic toward the lost. We've forgotten what it's like to be lost. And, and, and what we've done is instead of inviting people to church, we'll invite them to everything else. Okay? This demon cried out, the spoken word of God has inherent power to change. The word of God has a living quality about it. As it enters the heart of a man, it begins doing its work in our lives. Stephen Lawson said this, the pastor who cares about the spiritual growth of his people must make God and his word the centerpiece of his ministry. The number of Americans accepting the Bible as a literal word of God has reached its lowest point since Gallup began the study in 1976. The new figure is about 20%. Isn't that amazing? But demons believe all of it. They believe every bit of it. It's God's word. It wasn't the word of Paul. It's, the word of, it's not the word of some committee. It's not the word of some consensus. It's not something that he received from someone else. Jesus taught the word of God. In Acts 8, for example, in verse 14, notice how they describe the word of God. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. In Acts 13, 44, Paul and Barnabas, it talks about them. It says, the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. Not just Paul and Barnabas, but the word of God. When the apostles spoke, it was not human opinion. There's only one God, and he'd spoken in one book. All other supposed revelations from God are not from God. They're the concoctions of men, for the most part, demon-inspired. The Koran, Book of Mormon, all other writings are man-made. Anything that contradicts the Bible is not from God. If it's not contained in the 66 books of the Bible, it's not the Word of God. If it's not the 66 books of the Bible, God didn't say it. He just didn't. That's why this book is so important. Romans seven twelve, Paul says, God's Word is holy, righteous, and good. Moses said in Deuteronomy 4, Do not add to Scripture. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says, Do not add to Scripture. Do not take away from it because it is total, it is complete, 
and it is infallible. Jesus says this, the scripture cannot be broken. It's like a chain. All the verses are linked. All the chapters are linked. All the books are linked. The testaments are linked. And there's nowhere it can be broken. That's why this demon-possessed man, notice, he cried out. Leave us alone, he says. He says, what's between me and you? What, you know what he's saying? We don't have anything in common. You're the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? That word destroy means to bring down to nothing. It, it's, it describes a conquest where you just slaughter your, your, your enemies. How could a demon-possessed, law-keeping Jew sit in church every Sunday because religion does not scare the devil? Grace does. Religion does not scare the devil. Grace does. Religion does not scare the devil, the blood of Christ does. Religion does not scare the devil, but the Holy One of God does. One pastor friend of mine said this, he says, where you have liberal theology, you have content demons because no truth is cast. He said, I'd rather scare the demonic world with the Word of God than have the praise of my storytelling sermons. Amen. What are you going to preach if you don't preach this book? The teaching of earning heaven by good deeds is satanic and an offense to the cross. It is possible for a church to go so far left that Satan is there unfazed and unchallenged. This demon was completely aware of the deity of Christ. Isn't it amazing? The Jewish nation said this about Jesus. This man's a carpenter. While the demon says, no, he's God. The Jewish people said he can't be the Messiah. While the demon said he's the Holy One of Israel. This leads to an interesting thought. Think about this. That which a human can reject as fable, the demon world knows as fact. If you want an orthodox picture of who Jesus is, just read what Satan says about him. If you want an orthodox picture of who Jesus is, just read what the demons say about him. They have great theology. The greatest theologian, one of the greatest theologians in the Bible is Lucifer. He knows all about Jesus, and when he's in contact with him, he, says, he explains who he is. Satan never saw Jesus as a good teacher or a good example. He saw him as the Holy One of God. The third thing is this, Jesus can deliver. Jesus can deliver. Notice the verse. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. Jesus has the power to save anybody. Anyone can be saved. No one is too far gone. Jesus has sovereign power over the demonic world. Jesus has sovereign power over all things. I, I'll, I'll guarantee you, in your life or in your realm of influence, you have people you work with or in your families or friends that you say they will never be saved. I've said that before. I remember a guy I preached, listen, I preached his dad's funeral, preached his mom's funeral, probably five years apart. And in those funerals, I looked right at him and said, they'd want you to be in heaven. You know, I said it. They love Jesus and they'd want you to be in heaven. I'd point out, almost point at him like I'm doing Matt. Guess what he did at each invitation? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Get a call. Three o'clock in the morning. He'd say, brother, if you don't help me, I'm going to die. I'd pray with him. Say, man, you just need Jesus. You just need Jesus. Give up on him. Give up called from the hotel said if you don't give me 20 bucks this guy's going to kill me and I said put him on the phone 2 o'clock in the morning why are you calling it 2 o'clock why don't you call it 2 p.m. Amen. guy put him on the phone I said I don't believe you if you kill him I'll preach his funeral hung up just done with it you ever been that way 
and one day you get a call. said this. He says, you probably don't believe me, but the Lord saved me. It's been about 20 years ago. He's one of the best Christian men I know. One of the best. You know how many times I prayed for that old boy at this altar? How many times I witnessed to him? And then I just said, nope, not going to happen to him. Just kicked the dust off his feet. That's probably this guy. Jesus can save anybody, can he not? And I'm going to tell you, don't give up on them. Do not give up on them. If you'd see this old guy today, such a, such a joy to be around. Y'all remember the old video stores? What was it called up here? I can't even remember the name of it. Salvation Army's there now. I'd go in there and get a video. I'll tell you how saved this boy got. When I'd pick my video out, if I saw him, I'd hide it. Because <laughs> he'd start preaching to me. You watching that? What? That's PG. No, that's PG-13. I mean, that's how much God changed him. Then he'd call me and talk about the Bible. It's amazing what God can do. Please do not ever give up on somebody. God can do anything. Look, you may be sitting here and say, well, you don't know where I've been. Oh, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter, does it? Jesus Christ can change your life, can he not? Old things pass away, behold, all things can become new. That's why I don't stop praying for people. And I never will. Even if they get saved and relapse... Anybody ever known of that? Some of us have been there, right? Oh, Jesus can still help you. This man, every I'm, I'm sure most people gave up on him, but just, just coming in contact with Jesus changed his life forever. Jesus took the spirit out of him. And then finally, this is this. This is not in this verse, but notice, be strong in the Lord. When Paul talks about spiritual warfare, this is what he says. He makes this statement. He starts it out this way. Finally, at the end of... Of, of the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. He says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand. Listen to this. You've got to be strong to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly... Notice the word struggle. Man, I've talked to people and I'll say, How are you doing? They'll say, I'm struggling. You ever been there? Man, I'm struggling. I am struggling so bad. You don't talk about it? Not really. But I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? I'll say, I know where you are, brother. I know where you are. I know exactly where you are. Struggling. Isn't it good to have a church when you're struggling? Isn't it good to have a church that instead of talking about you, will pray for you, cry tears over you, when you're struggling? Isn't it good to have a place to come to when you're struggling? You ever struggled? I want you to know you can come to this preacher anytime if you're struggling. But notice what Paul says. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Look at that word strong. Such a good word. The Greek word means this. It means it's an increasing type of thing. One scholar said, in other words, Paul's becoming stronger and stronger. What he's talking about is becoming stronger and stronger spiritually. It's not a, just a one-time thing. When you're struggling, it's not just you come pray a prayer. What God does is he gives you strength and then continually makes you stronger and stronger and stronger. That's why Paul tells the church of Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who 
strengthens me. It's not a one-time strengthening that automatically kills some people's idea of warfare. It, it's, it's a thing that makes you strong on Monday, and it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. If you're struggling, you need to be strong. The reason we give in is because we are weak, right? Right? The reason we give in in our lives and we, we cross the line of sin. See, when you sin and when I sin, I know it's a sin. I know it is. God, God's word is pretty plain. When I sin, I know I'm sinning. But in my mind, I justify it. Have you ever done that? Because at that moment, you're so weak. So weak. And you give in. There have been a lot of people in that office who are weak. And I'd say, brother, you just need to get strong in the Lord. It's not a one-time thing. It's something God does to you over and over and over and over again. Over and over again. The reason a man will cheat on his wife is because he's weak. The reason a man will work all week and not tithe to his local church, and I don't know who gives here, it's none of my business. I know I do, because you're weak. The reason a man will commit the same sin over and over and over and over and over again is because you're weak. You're weak. And what you need to do is admit to God, God, I'm weak. Make me strong. He says, finally, this is what Paul's saying in the context of spiritual warfare. You better be strong in the Lord. Be strong. See, there comes a time in your spiritual life when you have to stop making excuses. You just got to stop it. You got to make a commitment to be strong in the Lord. I've heard so many excuses in Alexander County of why people can't do this, that, or the other, why they can't come to church, why they don't do this. And I'm just like, brother, you're just weak. You're just weak. See, that, that's by choice. There's some people weak by circumstances. Man, life can beat you up, can it? That's why Paul says our struggle is not against people. It's against something else. Think of all the things that can hurt us. Relationships, work, people, family. All those things can make you weak, 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 weak. And when you come to church especially, you should be able to get strength. Amen? Be able to get strength here. Some of you this year, or before the end of this year, you may get some bad news. Health-wise, relationship-wise, work-wise. End of the year, we don't know what's going to happen, right? You don't, know, you don't know what's going to happen at your job. When I worked in secular work, end of the year, you always had people getting fired. I don't know why it was that way. After Christmas break, we're going to do something new. Isn't that sad? People get weak because the world makes us weak. But Jesus can make us strong. Do you need the strength of God in your life? He offers it to you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me just for a few moments with every head bowed and every eye closed as our musicians come. You know, the Bible says that in Second uh, Samuel, that whenever David, or First Samuel, I'm sorry, whenever David made a bad mistake, and his family and his children and his wives were taken so much so that his men wanted to kill him. And they were all crying. These mighty words of God were crying. David didn't know what to do. The Bible says, then David strengthened himself, strengthened himself in the Lord. David did. He admitted his weakness and asked God for strength. 
Satan wants you weak. If you're here today and you're lost, Satan wants you lost for eternity. Christians, I implore you and encourage you to ask God for strength today. After I pray, this altar's open if you need to come. If not, you can pray where you are. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for the strength that you alone can give. Father, help us to stand. Lord, as we talked about these these, uh, days that Paul talked about in Ephesians, Lord, sometimes they're seasons. And help us to stand. Lord, give us strength. Help us in our weakness. Lord, love us. Lord, love on your people today. And do things for us, Lord, that nothing else can in the context of your church. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, this altar is open. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'd love to talk with you about that. If you need strength and you want to come to this altar, it's open for you this morning. Thank you. bow your heads in prayer with me for a moment are you weak in the quietness of this moment just just admit that to the Lord maybe it's something you did maybe it's something somebody did to you maybe it's just life and you want to be honest with God this morning and say Lord I'm struggling and Lord I need your help I need your strength I need your touch God fill me with your mighty power to make it during these times I'm struggling then if you're here today and you're lost and the Holy Spirit of God convicted you. Say something like this if you want to be saved. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I'm a sinner, and I believe you rose from the dead. And today I place my faith in the resurrected Christ. And I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit, to save me, and to use me for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said together. God bless you. I love you. We're on a regular schedule tonight. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon and hope to see you back here tonight. Thank you and you're dismissed.